Hey friends, good morning. Good morning. One more time, good morning. good morning. Thank you, yes, good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Ashley, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm the pastor of Global and Local Outreach here. And as Dave said, I have the pleasure of closing out our unlikely series in the book of Philemon. And I don't know about you all, but I've really enjoyed this series a lot. And I think it's because I so identify with being labeled as the unlikely. Can anybody else be identified as that? You relate to that? Um, how many of you are familiar with something called the ACE score? Has anybody heard of this? A few of you. Well, an ACE score is a tally of different types of abuse and neglect and trauma that goes on through um, a child's life. Collectively, these are called adverse childhood experiences. And the higher the score, the higher the risk for health problems, poor academic achievement, substance abuse, etc. Excuse me. And growing up in a home where there was physical abuse and there was emotional abuse and other forms of trauma, my ACE score is very high. And this series has been timely and an encouraging reminder for me to know that God does not deem me or you unlikely, but that he has created us with a purpose and for a purpose, and that the world, he wants to use us for that purpose in our world. And so the world's expectations may not meet God's expectations, but he's called all of us likely you and me alike. And so God chooses to use all sorts of people as we've been exploring throughout scripture to bring about his kingdom purposes. If there's only one thing you can take away from that series, this series, it is that God created you intentionally just like he did Deborah, Samson, Jael, and Esther, and Philemon and Onesimus. He created you intentionally and wants to use every part of your story, every part of your character to bring about his kingdom purposes, to rescue, to heal, and redeem. And that's good news, church. Amen? This morning, we're looking at the book of Philemon, and specifically the story and the relationship of Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon is one of the shortest books of the Bible, but it's jam-packed full of good things, as all of God's Word is. In looking at Philemon, we're going to take a bit of a different approach. We're focusing on the un, we're, we're focusing on not just the unlikely individual, but the unlikely individual's purpose within the community and how communities are called to welcome the unlikely. It's important for us as a church to practice welcoming in the quote unquote unlikely. That word welcome in the Greek means to embrace or to draw to oneself with joy. It's used twice in verse 17 in Philemon when Paul writes, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This happens at a point where Paul is calling Philemon and the church to identify with Onesimus, the unlikely vessel of our text. So let's read that scripture in the context of the entire book of Philemon. It's 25 scriptures. Um, if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen and I'll read them. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphaia, our sister, and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I can be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but we would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that he might have, you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aratarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Now let's take a step back for a note for a minute and make note of a few things before we move on. Paul's letter was written and addressed to Philemon his wife, Aphia, the soldier, Acrippus, and I am butchering these names, so if you know the right pronunciation of them, please just say that in your head as we go, go forward. Um, he's writing the letter to them and the church that was taking place in Philemon's house. And Paul meant for Philemon to read this letter aloud there in their church community. This was an intentional and well-thought-out approach by Paul, and it was significant because what Paul was asking of Philemon and the community in the letter would go against the status quo. Now, we don't know the complete backstory, but we know what we know is that Onesimus was a slave. And he had wronged Philemon in some way. Possibly he had stolen something from him, but we don't really know that. And Onesimus found himself in prison for a time and was out on the outskirts of community. 
We don't know what wrong was committed, um, but it's not really important to the story. That isn't the point. The point was that Paul was asking Philemon, a slave owner, a wealthy man, a man of power, privilege, and influence, who had a church happening in his house. He was a believer. He was asking him to handle what had happened with Onesimus differently. And that's important. Now let's address something in the text, the elephant in the room, the big word, slavery. Slavery in first century Roman culture was, a, was widespread and most people ended up as slaves because they were either taken, from, taken as prisoner of war or sold themselves into slavery to pay off big debts that were overwhelming. But after those debts were paid, freedom was given. It is debated by scholars that there were somewhere between a quarter to a third of of all people were slaves in first century Roman culture. This kind of slavery is not to be confused with the Atlantic slave trade that happened in the States and around the world that Christians used for centuries to capture and enslave Africans because it was thought that the color of them, their skin made them subhuman or their, and therefore their only purpose was to be abused and enslaved forever for generations. So it was Paul's hope in sharing the gospel around the world and with Philemon and Onesimus that both slave and master would come to know Jesus and that the end of the end result of them coming to know Jesus would be that slavery would be upended not perpetuated in communities. Paul is asking Philemon that even though he has been wronged to welcome Onesimus back into the community not as a slave as the text says or as a possible thief but as a brother in the Lord. And Philemon would have been well within his right not to do so. He had been wronged legally. And the soldier present would have been well within his right to arrest him and take him into custody on site. But Paul is asking for something different. Paul wants the church that's taking place in his house to know that God has bigger plans for their community and for Onesimus. God wants the church community to be defined by forgiveness and reconciliation. The kind of community that Paul is talking about here is something that Dr. King talks about, the beloved community. Dr. King states this in his letter from a Birmingham jail, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. Our communities are to be mutually beneficial. We reflect God's best when we are working together in unity to make each other better. This statement wasn't just a clever thought by Dr. King, but it speaks to something that Paul wrote in Romans 15, one through three. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That goes back to what Paul says in Philemon in verse 18. If he, referring to Onesimus, has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will take care of it. Paul is letting Philemon know that Onesimus has come to know the Lord and is living his life differently. There had been a change. Say change. And because of this, Paul is asking Philemon and his community not to hold Onesimus' past sins against him. Onesimus has repented and God has forgiven him. So Paul is saying to Philemon and the community, you must forgive him as well. One of the things that centers any Christian community is forgiveness. It reflects Jesus, our Savior, to others. And it does this in order to strengthen and equip and to give life to the body. And in this beloved community, we want to be people who forgive and who welcome and who lives out one of its seven distinctives, which is engages inclusively, which is key to welcoming. Because this kind of community models a holistic view of Jesus. It restores and heals and recognizes that the unlikely in our society reflects the image of God just as much as anyone else. And not just that, but that they have gifts and talents to offer the church that it so desperately needs in our world today. Romans 12, 4-6 says that for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us let us use them paul is appealing to philemon for his son onesimus he is saying community this man he was once useless, but now he is useful. He has gifts to bring to your body. And as the body of Christ, our communities are supposed to practice reconciliation so that all the gifts in the body can take place. In this letter, we find Paul advocating for Onesimus and reminding the community that Onesimus has a purpose while also acknowledging that what Philemon has gone through, the wrong had happened. We have to acknowledge that. But in the wrong happening, Onesimus has been forgiven and they are reconciling to reflect something bigger. Sometimes living out the work of reconciliation starts before the internal work of reconciliation is completed. I hope that makes sense. Sometimes we have to step towards reconciliation before reconciliation in our own hearts has actually taken place. There are so many people in our world and in our lives that are hurting, and, be and because they are hurting, they hurt others and themselves, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We've been those people. How many of us in this room have said something or done something that we regretted? How many of us have hurt someone that we loved deeply or been hurt by someone that we loved? It is because of the pain that some, that some of us can't even imagine reconciliation here on earth. But Jesus has modeled that, and his community must do the same. 
Welcoming is one part of reconciliation. Just like Onesimus, there are men and women and children in this body and in bodies all across the world, longing not to be seen or judged by their past, particularly if they've already come to know the Lord, but they're longing to be seen how Jesus sees them. As a community, we get so caught up in judging one another that we forget that mercy triumphs over judgment, James 2.13. So what does it look like to suspend judgment and welcome the unlikely into community, to embrace people, to offer love, hope, and reconciliation, to actually see someone how Jesus sees them? When God welcomes us into a relationship with him, his body, the church, he welcomes us to participate in the fulfillment of his kingdom purposes, and he wants us to welcome others into our communities so that they can do the same. Unfortunately, our church communities have, been, have become a hindrance to the unlikely. Our church communities actually have led people away from participating in the community and to, instead of toward participating in the community. This should grieve our hearts. It should grieve our hearts that barriers like racism and prejudice and unwillingness to forgive and selfishness and pride and faulty belief systems and nationalism and political pandering have hindered people from experiencing authentic Christian community. Community isn't just about getting our own needs met. It's about the greater flourishing of the body and the expansion of the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how uncomfortable it must have been for both Philemon and Onesimus after being hurt by one another to welcome and embrace each other as, we, as, as equals? I can't imagine that. That's hard. It is incredibly hard. But this is the kind of hard, life-giving work that Jesus is asking his church to engage in. Tim Mackey of The Bible Project says that as followers of Jesus, we should be the first ones to engage in the hard conflicts of our day, to bring about peace, equality, to bring about peace and equality. For Paul, division and inequality in the body of Christ isn't a minor issue. It goes against the heart of the good news about Jesus. So let's get practical. How do we do this work? As I've read and reflected and prayed about Philemon, I feel that there are five things that hinder the church from being a welcoming community and five things that help us become a more welcoming community. So let's talk about the five, the five things that hinder us from being a welcome community. The first one is shame. And many of us have dealt with shame. I know I've dealt with shame. Shame directs our focus inward and causes us to view our entire self in a negative life. Shame keeps us stuck. And we can't care for others well when we're stuck in shame cycles. And we can't shame others either. We have to be able to speak life over people, even when they make mistakes, to speak life, not fear, insecurity, or death. The second one, and it goes along with the third one, is fear and prejudice. Fear and prejudice keeps us from seeing the image of God in the people around us. If Philemon and Onesimus wouldn't have, wouldn't have held, would have held to their fear, 
they would have allowed their prejudice and their fears to eat them alive and it would have had devastating effects on their community. We have to disrupt those things. We have to perpetuate unity so that we can live out our greatest purpose. The third thing is selfishness. Just like shame, selfishness perpetuates our self-centeredness. Scripture calls us to be selfless so that we can love each other freely. The fourth thing, the fifth thing, I mean, is revenge. We can't get caught up trying to make sure that people pay for their sin and for their crime, to make sure that our enemies pay. Revenge is a devastating thing. It allows for bitterness to creep in. Leave that to God and trust that he's already taken care of it. And I know that that's hard to do. Don't hold past sins against your brother or sisters when God has changed their life. It's not for us to second guess what God has done or is doing. We must just believe it. Believe God. Trust God. Let's move on to the five things that help us become a welcoming community. The first one is love. Love is more than just a feeling. I know we like to feel love. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy, like drinking a hot cup of tea or snuggling up with a cozy blanket. But love is more than just a feeling. It is a commitment that requires us to put the well-being of others before ourselves. It is a commitment that will keep us in relationship when those warm and fuzzies I mentioned fade as they so often do. It is a commitment that helps us extend power, that helps us be selfless, as Paul was asking Philemon to do. And in keeping these commitments to one another, we model something not only to the people coming into our community, but the people watching our community. The world is watching our Christian communities. The second one is repentance. Repentance ushers in forgiveness. Repentance is more than just an apology, but it's a 180. It's an apology plus a corrected behavior, an apology plus doing things differently. As a community, we can't be afraid of admitting flaws or wrongdoing because it's through confession and our weaknesses that the love, grace, and strength of Jesus is made known. We must be a community that practices repentance on a regular basis. Just as believers, that's something that we're called to do. Confession, repentance. Number three is forgiveness. Forgiveness sets people free. Can we all agree to that? You are forgiven, and because you were forgiven, you have been set free from sin and death to live out God's purpose that he has for you. I don't say this flippantly and to invalidate anyone's hurt or pain, but we must be people who forgive, and I know that that's a hard thing to do. All of us have suffered hurts in this room, some of us more so than others. But forgiveness sets us free to live out our God-given purpose. And it is essential for us to forgive in order to be a welcoming community, as God calls us to welcome all people in, not just the people who we like. 
Forgiveness is the process that will bring about healing and yield the fruit of reconciliation. How many of you have seen the movie Les Mis? There's a couple different versions. Um, One came out probably like five or six years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, who knows? I lose track of time. But anyway, Hugh Jackman was in it. Not only was he Wolverine, but he's just a multi-talented person. We know these people who can sing and dance and play superheroes. Hugh Jackman is one of these people. But he was John Valjean in Les Mis. And in Les Mis, John Valjean, the character, he was in a French prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. He escapes from prison and he goes to a neighboring town. And in this neighboring town, he comes upon a church and befriends a bishop. He, the bishop not answers the door and lets John Valjean in, treats him to a meal, gives him clean clothes, lets him take a bath, gives him a warm bed. And then in the middle of the night, John Valjean repays this kindness by stealing all of his fancy silverware. And he leaves in the middle of the night and the cops catch him and bring him back bring him to the doorstep of the bishop and the bishop says oh no no you've made a mistake this was a gift this was a gift that i gave to this man of course john valjean is taken surprised by this because he knows he was trying to do the bishop dirty and steal all the silverware But the bishop said, no, I want to show you forgiveness. And we know that if you watch the scene in the movie, John Valjean comes up with this powerful song that exclaims how this act of kindness made him feel. It changed his life. And because he was forgiven and welcomed in, John Valjean goes on to do great things. He comes to know Jesus, and it profoundly changes the way he responds to people. This is the kind of forgiveness that the Lord wants us to, to, to model in our community. Fourth is accountability. One of the reasons I believe that Paul's letter was to be read aloud in the church was so that the community could hold each other accountable. We must be held accountable to what we say we're about as a community. If we say we're going to do this, we must be held accountable to do that very thing. And each one of us as individuals must be held accountable to love one another, to be welcoming people. It's only through transparency, which is provided by accountability, that we can be communities that actually allow the space for people to come in and be free to be who they are. Christian communities must be communities that model accountability to the gospel of Christ. And lastly, faith. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. These five things are hard, and at times, for me, they are unimaginable. They are hard. I'm not speaking about them because I've perfected any of them. I'm speaking about them because they are hard things that God is doing a work in me and a work in this community and a work in us all to live out. These things are unimaginable sometimes, but with Christ, all of them are possible, right? All of them are within our reach through the power of Jesus. With faith and by faith, these things can happen and are happening in our communities, our small groups, our larger gatherings. We are welcoming people and must continue to do so. 
And all of them, all of these five things lead the church to being a more welcoming community, one that models love, hospitality, and reconciliation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19, that Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul wanted Philemon and Onesimus, as well as their community, to be a physical representation of the ministry of reconciliation. Please consider who God has placed among you, placed amongst us, to be a physical representation of the ministry of reconciliation, especially in our world today. As I close, I want you to remember that it's only by the grace of God that any of us are saved. And as the body, we belong one to another. Remember, we are to be people reconciled to God so he can renew our hearts and minds and being confident of our redemption, we can then walk in the power and security that Jesus provides. No matter what anyone says about you, now I'm talking to our friends in the room, my friends in the room who may think of themselves as unlikely. No matter what anyone says about you, Remember that just like Onesimus, he has called you useful and has welcomed you into his community as a beloved son or daughter. God is in the business of using broken people to do great things, and that is his intention. It is by no mistake. So in the words of Paul, I want to close with this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Thanks, Cedar Mount.